Today we're taking a look at the road to the White House through the lens of big law. We have some data on which candidate Republican attorneys are giving money to, and it's not the former president. We'll learn why and what this could mean for the future. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So, as you may have heard, Donald Trump has been generating a lot of billable hours recently. But even though Trump may be generating revenue for attorneys, or at least some attorneys, the legal profession as a whole doesn't seem to be too enthusiastic about his bid to recapture the White House. That's the takeaway from a story out this week from Bloomberg Law's Justin Wise. Justin combed through the campaign finance disclosures from the second quarter of this year and found that lawyers, and especially big law lawyers, are giving a ton of money to Trump's rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Today, we're going to hear from Justin about why that is and about what this could mean if Trump does succeed in winning a second term, because after all, the guy is known to hold some grudges. But first, I asked Justin to break down the dollar amounts for me and to lay out just how much money lawyers are giving to DeSantis. Yeah, so to focus on on those two, DeSantis, just his campaign alone, his principal campaign committee raised about $1.3 million in individual contributions from lawyers. Um, and an important caveat here is that, you know, these are uh, donations above the $200 cap where you must give your occupation info, who your employer is, etc. So they give them about $1.3 million, which is a uh, a notable sum considering that Trump, since he launched his campaign uh, back in November, his campaign has raised about $200,000 from from lawyers. So that's huge. So we're talking about one point three for DeSantis from the legal industry and 200000 for Trump. That's right. That's right. And it is it's it's a very wide gap. And it speaks to what uh, kind of my article was looking into was whether uh, a lot of this GOP quote unquote, legal establishment, if you will, folks who have been in prior uh, Republican administrations, say the George Bush administration, even folks who have been in the Trump administration uh, during his first term and folks at big law firms in very powerful positions getting behind DeSantis in this primary. And it's worth noting before we get even further into this this podcast that we're talking about just the legal industry and in that case, just contributions of that are more than two hundred dollars. Correct. Because as you noted in your article, Trump has been relying on small dollar donations or smaller dollar donations, and he seems to be doing pretty well. I don't think he's, you know, hurting for cash. I, I think I think Trump is not going to be worried about uh, the legal the legal sector, um, given the way he advertises himself and the way his campaign advertises himself. This is uh, very specific to the legal industry and not something Trump is probably worried about. So just to further the argument here that the legal industry really likes DeSantis or at least is, you know, contributing a lot of money to him. Let's put this in some further context. How much is this industry given to President Biden and his reelection efforts? And how much is it given to the, you know, with with all apologies, the more minor Republican candidates? Yeah. So to start on the minor Republican candidates, folks like Tim Scott have raised about two hundred thousand dollars as well, as well as Nikki Haley. She's raised about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars from individual contributions. Then if we're going to look at the Democratic side and again, Biden is the Democratic candidate. He has raised about one point five million dollars. And if we're looking at also an important you know, historical context, 
The legal sector donates to Democratic candidates by a wide margin Hmm. uh, compared to Republicans. It's actually it's a very interesting data point. haven't done a lot of research into as to why, but um, if we're looking at legal sector donations, they have historically tilted to the left. That being said, I do want to focus in on the lawyers who are donating to DeSantis here because, as you pointed out in your story, this is really fascinating, a lot of them have ties to Donald Trump and to his administration. Let's talk about which firms are donating and who these lawyers are and, and what their backgrounds are. Sure. So I'll start with the most notable firm, uh, Sullivan Cromwell. They're an elite law firm uh, based in in Wall Street, represent all the big banks. Just from their firm alone, lawyers have donated about $130,000. And again, there are there are individual caps on donations, uh, $3,300 for each, the primary and the general election. If we kind of look a little further into that, uh, Sullivan and Cromwell co-chair Robert Joyfra was actually on the host committee for a DeSantis fundraiser in New York. Um, so that kind of can speak to some of the connections there. There's at least a relationship there as to why that firm has so many uh, donations. If we want to kind of go further, uh, there are firms like Kirkland and Ellis, Quinn and Manuel, um, very powerful law firms, attorneys uh, from from those places like Reginald Brown. He uh, is a big um, congressional investigations attorney. Uh, he was on the host committee for a DC fundraiser um, and has donated $50,000 to a super PAC that is uh, aligned with DeSantis. And then if we want to push into kind of uh, what you were referring to, uh, there are Trump-appointed U.S. attorneys, Scott Brady and Justin Herdman. They have donated to DeSantis's campaign. We want to go down the list. Uh, Brian Benskowski, who was appointed to the DOJ criminal division, the head of it, I should say, he has donated to DeSantis's campaign. And then you're also looking at folks like uh, Richard Donahue, who, if you remember from uh, a lot of the investigations into January 6th, resisted Trump's you know unfounded claims about the 2020 election. He has donated to DeSantis's campaign as well. So it, it really speaks to you know some of these high-profile figures on the Republican DOJ side, putting at least their support financially behind uh, DeSantis. Yeah, that is really remarkable. Uh, And we'll get into why in a second. But I just wanted to very briefly talk about that D.C. fundraiser that you mentioned. That was held at the offices of a law firm. Sure, sure. So there was a a D.C. fundraiser held uh, in late June. So as DeSantis is getting his campaign off the ground, uh, these fundraisers are basically part of the business of running for president now. Brownstein Hyatt was where this fundraiser was. And Brownstein Hyatt is a law and lobbying shop. They're based in Denver, but they have the biggest lobbying practice in Washington um, with a number of Democratic and Republican lobbyists. The fundraiser itself was held at, at Brownstein's office. Now, what I can say is that, you know, Mark Lampkin, a uh, who was once the lobbying practice leader, was on the host committee for that uh, for that event. Reginald Brown, who I um, referred to earlier, Kirkland Ellis partner, you know, uh, active Republican donor, he was on the host committee. Uh, and then, lastly, a DLA Piper partner, um, who DLA Piper, another big law firm with a big presence in Washington. But now let's get into the really fascinating part of the story, which is the why. Um, why is big law really, or at least the Republican side of big law, really embracing uh, Governor DeSantis here? Yeah. So at least from the folks that I uh, got a chance to speak to, uh, the um, the theme, I'd say, of the conversations was he seems 
despite um, acknowledged f- flaws, he still seems like the best uh, shot at beating Trump and at unseating him as the Republican nominee in the uh, 2024 primary. And these are attorneys who really don't want Trump to, to win the nomination. And yes, and I and I imagine, um, or I don't imagine, but I, I I know that it's from attorneys who are coalescing around him because they want uh, an alternative to Trump, and that they see uh, really the race as, or at least at the beginning of the, this campaign, they saw the race as a two-person race. Yeah, uh, and so this is pragmatism. This is not, you know, these these attorneys are not saying, you know, we support everything that. DeSantis does and we think his policy platform is, you know, just the best and we're behind him 100 percent. This is, you know, we don't like Trump. We want Trump out. You know, we want Trump gone. And we think DeSantis is the best man to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm imagining it's got to be mixed. It's got to be mixed. And I think we're going to learn more about this as as the campaign plays out. When we get a chance to see, you know, the next election report that gives a look at uh, DeSantis's fundraising, not after he immediately launched his campaign, but three months into his campaign. We you know, if you follow campaigns, you know that at the starting gun is perhaps when you have, you know, the most enthusiasm around your campaign. And when you get, you know, you have these big fundraisers, like I just mentioned, where you get, you know, these big high dollar donors who can write a big check to you. Well, the thing about getting a big high dollar donor to write a big check to you is that once they write that big check to you, they can't write another big check to you, especially by those individual limits. So I think it is still early. We will learn a lot. It is definitely a mixed bag, I think. I think there are, there are probably a lot of folks who are, are uh, definitely uh, very supportive of DeSantis, but I also think we all can read Republican politics and you can recognize that there's a sect of that that... Um, wants anyone but Trump. For sure. But I have to imagine, and that's why you're right, I am really f- going to be fascinated to see these the next round of campaign disclosure forms because, you know, as we've all seen, uh, Governor DeSantis's campaign has not been doing too well in its first few months. Uh, I think the most recent polls that I saw showed him in second place to, to former President Trump, but an extremely distant second place. That has to really cut into his narrative of electability. I mean, it sounds like these attorneys are supporting him mainly because he's the most electable. And, you know, it sound that could be imploding here. I mean, is, do you get any sense that that poses some trouble for him, at least among his supporters in, in big law? Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, and I, I know I don't have a, uh, a full kind of read on uh, every big law attorney and why they're um, they're supporting DeSantis, but what I can say is from the folks that I have talked to is that there's a, a clear-eyed sense that this road was going to be long. The sense I got uh, from the DeSantis supporters in by big law was we're not suddenly jumping or picking a, a new horse. Okay. Finally, um, let's talk about what happens if President Trump wins the nomination and, you know, retakes the White House. You know, a lot of the people who staff presidential administrations come from big law. In this case, you have, it seems like, all of Republican big law lining up against President Trump. Famously, Trump holds grudges and remembers everyone who uh, sided against him. What do you think this means? Do you think that if Trump wins re-election, that he will 
staff his he will refuse to staff his administration with these folks who are donating to DeSantis? Um, you know, it, it certainly could be the case. I think, for instance, we want to talk about big law and presidential administrations. Trump's last administration, uh, the f- law firm Jones Day, was was very closely associated with the Trump administration, sent a ton of its partners into the White House and uh, other cabinet positions. Jones Day stopped working for uh, yeah. his campaign. Yeah. Um, the very, and, yeah, very publicly. They, yes. They, they, you know, are, they cut him off. Yes, exactly. Jones Day stopped, stopped working for his campaign. And then you think about folks like, uh, you know, even uh, William Barr ha- I, has, has been openly critical of Trump's positions on the 2020 election. Uh, and I mean, you want to talk about Trump appointees. I mean, he was the attorney general. Exactly. Exactly. So you can see that a Trump administration would be staffed in a much different way than it even was back in uh, when he first entered the White House. I think it's not far-fetched to, to say that it would be night and day in terms of the comparisons. You know, you see folks like Richard Donahue, who I mentioned, um, you know, these very long-tenured attorneys with these very, impre- you know, decorated careers on the Republican side. It opens the question as to who would be filling those roles uh, if Trump were in office come 2025. All right. Well, that was uh, Justin Wise uh, talking about the 2024 presidential campaign well underway. Uh, Justin, thank you so much. This is really fascinating. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here. My executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law, we're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses. Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive, they can be exploitative. We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry, only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit. I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right, this can't be fair, how can she get away with this? And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses to keep their companies afloat. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules. And you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry. Plus, does the FTC under chair Lena Khan even have the power to pass this rule? Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition. There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition. Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle that could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.